So much great Advertising Week content, so little time. Snackable AI is now helping you navigate podcasts like this one, event sessions, and other content with chapters, topic tags, and more. Find the insights that matter to you faster than ever before. Learn more at snackable.ai. This week on the AW360 podcast, I speak with Siraj Barwani, Chief Strategy Officer at Acuity Ads. Siraj and I discuss the challenges advertisers face in the CTV market, consolidation in the programmatic ecosystem, and the constraints put on media transparency within all of these walled gardens. I hope you enjoy this episode. Siraj, welcome to the AW360 podcast. I'm pleased to have you on today. Thank you, Richard. Same here. So you're Chief Strategy Officer at Acuity Ads. Tell us a little bit about Acuity Ads. So Acuity Ads has been in business for the past 14 years, uh, and it's known for its expertise in what is called journey advertising. It launched a platform called Illumin uh, right in the middle of the pandemic in 2020, and we invested almost $100 million of public money to create what is on the open web, the first most intuitive programmatic platform that covers the full scope of awareness advertising, engagement, conversion, all all the way through uh, in a very intuitive way through Journey Canvas that allows you the opportunity to not only dynamically and fluidly move media across the entire journey in the right moments, the right times, and also get media attribution, which of course, every advertiser cares for this time. With all the recent changes in connected TV, and I think on a broader scale, the transition from linear television to connected TV to you know, all the things we do as consumers, what are the challenges, especially post-pandemic, that you faced when working with all these various marketplaces? So I would say that the excitement around streaming and ad-supported video on demand uh, and the prolific nature of the way these different platforms have emerged during that time frame as audiences had the time to want to consume all this content was clearly very, very exciting and continues to be so. The difficulty there is how do the advertisers benefit and consumers benefit by receiving those messages in the most controlled way? For example, there has been a lot of complaints about the fact that audiences, consumers are annoyed by repeated advertising and frequency overload. And it's not intentional on the part of the advertisers. They would much rather have great reach and control frequency. That's what they want to do. That's the most efficient way to do and reach consumers and, and get the benefit and provide the guidance to the consumers. The difficulty is all of these platforms that are ad supported live in their own islands. And given that, it's very difficult to make sure that consumer A on Roku is the same consumer that is back on Amazon 
Prime. And this is the same consumer that is on, and name your platform, <laughs> Disney, <laughs> wherever, right? There's everybody and anybody, or Hulu, all of these who provide ad-supported programming to be able to know that, that there is a common thread and there is a common consumer across all of these platforms and they're consuming because look, an average consumer is paying for at least four or five different subscriptions that are ad supported. When you have that kind of presence, there is amount, amazing amount of room for redundancy. And that's really one of the biggest challenge that, challenges that, that publishers, platforms like ours have to face and manage. So the very issue of all of these different walled gardens is really the same issue that causes me to see the same ads over and over again. Is that what you mean? Fundamentally, that's exactly what I mean. It's the, that's essentially what it is, right? It's not that advertisers want to do that. It's not what consumers want either. And yet the way our media space is fragmented into these isolated islands makes it immensely difficult to really manage that in the most efficient way possible right now. Yes. So what kind of solutions are available or are we striving to make available in the future so that this becomes less of a problem? First of all, made these things into walled gardens was they all recognized that they had critical mass of audiences within their own publishing environment. And therefore they started offering awareness levels advertising. They started offering more engagement and branded entertainment and content uh, sponsorships within them. And then they actually even a step further in terms of providing even links into the websites of the advertisers or their retail platforms or what have you, claiming that, you know what, we can essentially fulfill all the needs of over whatever where you want to reach across the full funnel of advertising objectives. Mm-hmm. Google can tell you that, that I can get all of this done within, you know, YouTube TV or whatever it is that they are offering. This also, again, ad supported platform. Um, Disney can tell you, I can get you all of that thing within my own collection of publishing properties that I have across 150 million or 200 million users that I have who consume our content and so forth. So that was the first effort that happened. The initial stand for everybody was, hey, you know what, if Google and Facebook can do that, you know, so can I, and I'm a big enough platform, I'm a big enough publisher, I should be able to do that too. And so that's what Disney did. But I'm telling you, that the future is beginning to emerge and I can already point to the green shoots as of just last week. What you saw was what Disney just did. Disney took its own audience graph and decided on a partnership with UID2, one of the open source IDs, which is based on consumer consent that the Trade Desk actually pushed for and and championed uh, a few years ago as a replacement for the cookies. And now when you find a way through Disney Green Room and matches happening across UID2, now you can see the scale expand and connection of the Disney Wall Garden all the way into the open market, what I call the open space, the open web, right? This is the beginnings of what needs to happen. This is just one connection. 
there are others you are going to see that are going to be made and that will begin to open up that connection of the dots that needs to happen. Because otherwise, imagine this, Richard, every wall garden can actually say, I have my own green room. I have my own audience, audience graph. You know what? For the advertiser, take your first party data, match it into my green room, and I'm going to help you figure out exactly whether you can reach your own consumers for continuity, or I can suppress it to give you incremental reach. They can all do that independently. Mm -hmm. But collectively, we have a problem of reach and frequency, right? Yeah. The beginnings of this match that happened with open source with the Disney audience graph, oh my God, is groundbreaking. That's the beginning of where the industry is going to move, I believe. And that, I believe, is a great place to be. It solves many different problems. First of all, it brings the whole class of addressable PMP, what is called the private marketplaces, into the market. It begins to point towards interoperability. That's what the industry has been looking for, is how do we create scale with interoperability of the audience graph so that we have a common identity the way we want to go, go towards. Because if you do it individually, you also have a lot of yield loss, right? Because you don't always have perfect match rate. The best match rates you get was with 60%, 65%, which means you are losing a lot of audience otherwise. But this way, now you are moving towards a positive direction, right? And this is, again, another thing. It's privacy-protected advertising. That's another thing that's yeah. coming to this kind of a solution. So we are essentially killing sort of a lot of birds in this with this one sort of strategy moving into this direction. And how long do you think it will take for everybody to sort of get on board with this? I mean, I know that my patience with seeing repeated ads, and this is just purely on the consumer side, is pretty limited. And so I start looking more and more seriously at you know, the, the upper tiers of, that some of these services offer that aren't ad-supported. Meanwhile, you know, it was announced, I believe it was just yesterday as we're recording this, you know, Netflix is going to offer a, a less expensive ad-supported tier. What is the timeline for sort of a transition where we can get, you know, not maybe not everybody initially on board, but as many as possible? So if I interpret that comment regarding Netflix and Microsoft to introduce ad-supported version of Netflix, it's pointing towards the fact that the industry has recognized that for scalable expansion of consumption of content and benefit to broader to the masses, for the choices in content consumption that they are looking for, that a more efficient ad-supported tier is, is required, mm -hmm. correct? We now acknowledge that, and that has all happened in just the last few months as Netflix has started losing subscribers, right? But I would say there is one other thing that's precipitating this whole movement, which is essentially, if we aren't already in a recession, there is a clear expectation that we are entering a recession, right? If that's happening, consumers, pocketbooks begin to sort of get tight, right? Mm -hmm. Therefore, they do need more efficient ways, which means more advertising, and that also benefits the brands, which means it's going to happen. To answer your question regarding timeline, well, all of this is going to move now relatively rapidly. It has to, because we need to solve the problem of privacy, consumer protection, all of that is necessary. We have to create more addressable environments so you, we can reduce the level of annoyance. <laughs> <laughs> All of those things have to happen. And, and that's the reason why 
you know, this move that Disney moves in this direction. And frankly, Netflix has not really yet disclosed its policy, but I would be surprised why it wouldn't go the same direction to open up the interoperability question because it has to happen. On the other side, take a look at what is really happening with Google in particular, right? Google is the only outlier at this point that has still kept Chrome browser intact, is still supporting cookies until it sort of eventually shuts it down, right? Mm -hmm. But the industry is moving past that. Nobody's really waiting for that eventuality to come about partly because Google has plenty of other issues to resolve with the regulators in EU and the US. And what that you know, eventual outcome is going to be and how they'll go in that direction, it's unclear, which means the industry can't really wait around and wait for Google to make its own decisions, which is why I think this whole thing is going to move forward quite rapidly. Shifting gears a little bit, when it comes to media value, and this is something I like to ask a lot of guests just to kind of get their particular take. And I would love yours. Do you see media value based on spend, you know, currency, or is it based on measurement or a combination of both? And if so, what does that combination look like in 2022? Well, so this whole story has played out here in the last year and a half. Quite clearly, Richard, if you were to watch the play by play of what has happened in the marketplace, and frankly, you might as well go back almost 10 years if you really wanted clarity on this thing. So imagine this, right? The reason I'm so familiar with this space is because I was playing in this market of measurement. And who are you solving the problem for? Advertisers eventually want media effectiveness clearly through tied to business outcomes. That's all they fundamentally care about. Do I get the real business outcomes? Do I get the real sales? Do I get predictable sales? All of those things have been fundamentally extremely important. Now, given the presence of Nielsen and the way all the things, the way the media was actually bought and focused completely on reach and frequency, the original currency was all based on GRPs, which was based on reach and frequency, right? How you buy, but how you buy isn't what's going to determine how effective is and what's the quality of that media, right? And so now look at the parallel track of what has happened. Look at where iSpot TV started. It started in the support of measuring the actual effectiveness of media with the advertisers. Once it gained critical mass over there, that's when it convinced NBC Universal that you know what? If advertisers trust the effectiveness as the currency, then why not make that as the currency that drives them to buy media? You see mm -hmm. what's the head and what's the tail here? Yeah. It's the effectiveness that ultimately forced NBC Universal to prioritize iSpot TV as the metric guiding the actual buy through the upfronts. Now, that doesn't mean that Nielsen has disappeared from the scene, you know? But what I'm going to say is that, yes, there is a balance because in one case, you want to find out, are you buying the right kind of inventory to begin with, where you're getting the right audiences and so forth. So of course you need that. Am I getting the reach or am I getting frequency? Am I getting, you know, whatever incrementals or not? Am I getting control on the frequency or not? I mean, this is still an issue, as I said earlier, more addressability will reduce that issue of 
having control over the frequency, right? Which is what advertisers are asking for. But ultimately, the measure of the quality of the media is on the effectiveness. Is it driving business outcomes? Is it driving predictable business outcomes? That's the key here. Looking ahead, now let's say one year, five years, 10 years, I'll let you decide. Where do you see the industry eventually landing with all of this? And you know, factoring in the distinct possibility that you know, we're on the beginnings of a recession here. So efficiency and media quality will always remain prime on the client's mind. But what has been an open question along the way is media attribution, which I'm hearing much louder and clearer these days than I ever did in the past 26 years of my career in advertising. It's like, I want attribution in almost every conversation we have. It's like, does my media really ultimately impact my bottom line? And so you will notice there are dozens and dozens of media attribution vendors, partners are out there in the marketplace these days. Some are measuring multi-touch attribution. Some have been in the market for doing media mix modeling. Others have been doing geo, you know, testing of one sort or the other. There are many, many different ways of looking at attribution. And I'm telling you that that's what's going to ultimately guide advertiser decisions. And frankly, with recession, it becomes even more important that every dollar that I spend is ultimately going to lead down to some form of a sales trajectory for me, right? Mm -hmm. But you know, Richard, that isn't necessarily the answer because not all media operates on the same timeline. Equity media, awareness media has an impact months down the road, whereas lower funnel performance media has immediate impact. And that's where the reconciliation process becomes harder to say, well, how do I measure the equivalence on a dollar for dollar? And what you need is the seamless measurement apparatus between upper funnel investment and lower funnel sales impact that can dynamically be adjusted, but be measured on different cycle times and still show you the effect of attribution. Some give you longer term impact, some give you shorter term impact, but you need to be able to balance that as, as your brand goes through its own life cycle. And I would say that if I had to summarize this whole thing is ultimately media is going to have to resolve this thing for the CMO, the chief growth officer, or whoever it is by coming clean and saying two different timelines and yet reconcilable on that whole time spectrum for you to say, what's the ideal allocation for you? Very interesting answer. Well, Siraj, that's all the time we have for today. I appreciate you being on the show. This is a great conversation. Um, where can people find out more about yourself and Acuity Ad? So you can check us out on Illumin.com, which is essentially our brand property. You can check us on LinkedIn. You can find us on Twitter against the same common brand because we just went through the rebranding process recently from what was Acuity Ads to becoming Illumin. So that's what our common identity is. 
uh, people can reach me by my name, you know, and on all of the different channels where I tend to <laughs> reside as well. <laughs> D, all of the above. <laughs> well, exactly. I, I appreciate you being on. Thanks so much for taking the time today. It was a pleasant speaking with you. Have a good day. Thanks for listening. For more content like this and to learn about Advertising Week's world-leading events for the advertising, marketing, and technology industries, including Advertising Week New York 2022 this fall, visit www.advertisingweek.com. Chaptering and other structural elements for this podcast are powered by Snackable AI. With the ability to unify all content in one place, have AI distill the best insights instantaneously, and share them seamlessly, businesses on Snackable create more relevant value for their audiences faster than ever before. Learn more at snackable.ai.